was a Bitcoin. Bitcoiners, I just got done with Anthony Scaramucci. This was a great conversation focused on what is happening in the world and how Anthony is capturing the biggest themes in innovation and investing at his upcoming conference, the SALT Conference in New York, September 13th and 15th. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to Anthony. Him and I don't necessarily agree about everything that's happening in macro, in society, and in crypto, but ultimately the man has an enormous amount of experience, has seen the world, has talked to the people who are pushing things forward across industry, and he has an enormous amount of insights. His conference has been putting on innovative ideas for a very, very long time and has been a source of signal for a very long time and this upcoming event is going to be no shortage of that i personally was really excited about the content mix they're talking about the future of foods city versus suburb there's a panel moderated by anthony about psychedelics and what that has for humans and of course there's a ton of bitcoin and a ton of cryptocurrency talk it's pretty at weight actually in the bitcoin direction which is just amazing to see anthony is very very bullish in the world of decentralization, the world of Bitcoin, the world of cryptocurrencies and DeFi, you know, he is all about all of it. Again, not all the Bitcoiners out there agree with him on his stance, but it is amazing signal to see a person like him start moving in this direction. So without further ado, let's get into this awesome conversation with Anthony Scaramucci. Bitcoiners, I am sitting across from Mr. Anthony Scaramucci. Once again, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Hey, it's great to be on. I've had a lot of fun with you guys, including yeah, well, the, uh, that Kathy Wood thing that we did at the Bitcoin conference that you guys spoke. It was great. Yeah, well, that was one of my favorite conversations. So thank you so much for being a part of it. I like your stack of Bitcoin books. The office is looking couple, spectacular. Yeah, we got a couple of Bitcoin books. We got Superman and Muhammad Ali. I'm wearing what I would call a Bitcoin hoodie. You know, I'm mean, usually in Brioni, but, you know, let me, I'm, I'm dressed up for you guys because I know I'm not going to get rich in Brioni. I got to wear a hoodie in order to get rich. It's the new Brioni is the hoodie. So if you know, you know, but Anthony, I'm really excited to talk to you about Assault Conference this upcoming September. You have some really awesome talks, including a ton about Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm just kind of curious, you know, you've been pushing out media as a big part of, you know, what Skybridge is doing. And I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, why Salt? Why are you doing this event? Why is this event special? Well, you know, listen, we've been doing it for a long time. You know, we started our first Salt Conference in 2009. We've done the event 14 times, 10 in Las Vegas two in Singapore, one in Tokyo. And our last conference was right before the pandemic started. That was December of 2019 in Abu Dhabi. And so I wanted to do the conference last year. Obviously, we couldn't because of the pandemic. We thought that a September timeframe would have cleared us from the pandemic. But of course, we have these variants now. And I think the pandemic, unfortunately, is going to be with us a very long time, CK. So we just made the decision to go forward we have over 2,000 people registered. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried from FDX just uh, told me this morning he's coming to be there in person. We have a couple of other surprise guests that we're working on right now. I would tell you who they are, but it's just not def defined yet. One of which is John Kerry, the 
now climate, former Secretary of State, climate change czar, a uh, whole selection of cryptocurrency people, policymakers, celebrities, but also sports people. Bobby Valentine and Joe Torrey are going to come and talk about what New York was like 20 short years ago after the 9-11 tragedy. And so, yes, I mean, I am super excited about the event and CNBC is going to be there to televise some of the panels. Um, and of course, for me, uh, I want people to have fun. So we're bringing the chain smokers on Tuesday night. They're going to be on the roof, which is an open air venue. So COVID friendly overlooking the Hudson River. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a great time. We just put on an event kind of in these conditions. And, you know, at some point you just got to continue on and do what you can. But with that being said, I've been looking through well, and, and looking also, my chops. I applaud you guys for making people safe. You know, I mean, you had probably very low incidence of uh, COVID transference at your event, if, it, if, it, if at all. And I think for us, you know, we decided to have a vaccine mandate because some of this is unfortunately indoors is unlike Miami, where you can have more outdoor activity. But listen, we're going to get there. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, again, talking about the conference, talking about the content mix, you know, I was pleasantly surprised with one, there's such a wide variety of topics for, let's just say, an institutional investment conference. But on the flip side, how much Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was part of the agenda? Can you talk a little bit about the content mix and how your team kind of made those decisions and what drives the focus? So, you know, listen, it's a really good question. But remember, we've got almost a billion dollars now between our exposure to Bitcoin and now Ethereum. And I think it's very important. We're one, I think we're one of the first movers. We may be a late mover for all of your fellow Bitcoiners, but I think we're an early mover as it relates to an institutional asset manager. And so you would be blown away at how early I actually think it is and how many of the people who we would like to see allocating to Bitcoin and, and Ethereum are behind the education curve. So that's a big reason why you're seeing that level of crypto educational formatted speaking. I often think of these things like they're television shows. And so MASH, it goes out of favor, burns out after eight or 10 years. All in the Family burns out. Friends, Jerry Seinfeld show. You get my point. What happens is you, you overdo the plot or you run out of script ideas and then it burns out. However, something like Meet the Press is 60 eight years old today, uh, the longest running television show in the United States. Why was it able to be that successful? Because it's constantly refreshing itself. It's constantly rebuilding itself. And so for me, I'm always looking to present the zeitgeist back to our delegates. And so what's in there? Crypto and financial infrastructure for the digital future, what about cities versus suburbs? We're talking about that because I think New York is about to experience a huge renaissance. Other people think that we'll be working from home forever. You've got structured credit guys in there talking about the uh, zero interest rate world that we're living in now. How do we make that world successful for people on the bond market? What about longevity? Uh, we've got guys like David Sinclair from Harvard, Eric Verdun from the Buck Institute of, of Research on Aging. You're a young guy. Hopefully, you'll live to 150. I'm an older guy, but I'd like to stay healthy and vibrant into my old age. But then, you know, look, I've got some of my friends coming, guys like Steve Cohen. They'll be talking about their hedge fund businesses, but also about their new experience in being a sports owner. 
the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of that. So I think we've got a lot of fun things going on, both digital, digital assets, crypto. We've got people coming in from Washington. Rufus Gifford is the chief of protocol of the United States States Department, talking about things going on in the Biden, the Biden administration and, and what we can be looking for. Michelle Flournoy, I don't know if you recognize that name, but Michelle was in contention to be the defense secretary. They ultimately gave the job to somebody else. But Michelle, in my mind, Lloyd Austin got the job, the uh, former general. Somebody in my mind, Michelle could be the first woman defense secretary of the United States. She's that knowledgeable, that successful. She'll be interviewing John Kelly, the former White House chief of staff, and H.R. McMaster at the event, talking about what happened in Afghanistan, our future. So again, I'm super excited. I'm trying always, and I think you guys think this way too, which is why the Bitcoin conference is so successful. I'm trying always to create a conference that I myself would like to attend. And so it's an eclectic mix of things, which I think is going to make it really exciting. I was going to hit on a couple of those uh, different topics that stood out to me. And the city versus suburbs one was definitely one that jumped out. I definitely have a theory on how this is going to kind of shake out. There's definitely a dichotomy here with these different forces. I'm kind of curious. Can you kind of give us a preview to you know your thesis around like cities and maybe New York coming back? Well, I think New York is one of these really resilient places because when the prices drop in New York, young people from around the world are like, okay, whoa, I could actually afford an apartment in New York. Let me go check that place out. And so when we've been at our grittiest, which is in sort of the 1970s, or we've been at our cleanest, which is sort of when Mayor Bloomberg's reign ended in 2013, you are going to attract people from around the world. It's just, it's too big of a magnet. It doesn't matter. You'll attract the gritty people when the city's gritty. You'll attract the people that are into the cleaner side of New York when the city's cleaner. And we're in transition once again. I think the new mayor, I expect it to be Eric Adams. Eric will be speaking at the conference, by the way. My first order of operations in terms of calling the conference to be in session is to bring Eric up on stage. I think he'll be the next mayor. He won the Democratic primary. He's well ahead of the Republican. Hopefully that will happen because I like Eric. He'll be talking about how he's going to clean up the city, deal with the homeless problem. Remember, CK, we call it a homeless problem, but what I like about Eric, he wants to address it from a drug addiction and mental illness problem. Ultimately, uh, we've got to get down into the layers of the causation of the problem and call it for what it is. And I think he's going to do a great job in putting that together as well. Interesting. I mean, I definitely agree that, you know, to solve these problems, we have to go two, three, four orders effects below, right? I feel like the current solutions we've been seeing have very much been like papering over the symptoms, which, you know, I think has had a, a pretty negative effect on society. Bitcoiners often, you know, think in two, three, four orders effects below, like, where do you kind of see this trend? Do you see a reversal in kind of like the short-term thinking that has kind of been a huge part of decision-making amongst the high, higher portion of leadership, whether that's in the government or corporations, or do you seeing like, is that not really changing in your opinion? I know that's a pretty heady question, but. Listen, it is It is the question of our time. I mean, I think, unfortunately, the short answer to your question is no, there will be the status quo. 
We're in a polemic-based society now. We're in a partisan divide. We're in a tribal society. Rather than focusing on the civic virtue and the unity of being Americans, we've decided now we're going to tear each other apart. That's very distracting. It's hurting us on long-term thinking, long-term planning. But, you know, we're talking about the mayor. You know, the interesting thing about the mayor is probably the toughest political job because the mayor has to fill the potholes, collect the garbage, make sure the police force is got high morale and is out there protecting the people on a daily basis. So the mayor has this sort of membrane of defense in a civil society. He's the orchestrator or she's the orchestrator. These other politicians, they sit a little bit further up on the perch. And I think they have a tendency to use the luxury of sitting further up on the perch to be more devious and more cynical. And so I'm hoping it's your generation, because I'll tell you that will tell you what, my generation has failed. The baby boomers get a letter grade F in terms of how they've handled us politically. Our political class has failed us. They don't think long-term. They don't think strategically. They react to the efforts of lobbyists and they react to the efforts of influences of foreign powers, frankly. We've got Republicans. Um, I used to be a Republican. We've got Republicans that are buying into Russian weapons-grade propaganda uh, and want to split the country super hard. Flip side, we've got people on the radical left that want to take away the opportunities that you and I both know that we need in our society as it relates to creating uneven outcomes pursuant to our innovation, the strength of our work ethic, our team building, all that other stuff. I'm all for the Jeff Bezoses in our society. I want those to continue to proliferate. But the, at the same time, though, I want I want to see a, a broader platform of equal opportunity. No problem with unequal outcomes, but we've got to work harder to make sure that we have equal opportunity for people because you didn't pick your parents. I didn't pick my parents. I didn't pick the location of my birth. And if you're born in the wrong zip code, you can't get a great public school education. And that that is unfortunate. You know, that's a random sequence of events that I think starts people out either advantaged or disadvantaged. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Maurizio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all, I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in, they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full 
proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the deep dive. The deep dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no fluff hard-hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on-chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative, and what's happening with the tech. My man, Dylan LeClaire, is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout-outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right, and him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code MACRO, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, you know, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code macro. Do it today. Is there anything in the content related to the future of education? Is that something that you think about much? We did that last time. We had Sal Kahan from the Kahan Academy come and talk about the future of education and how we were going to improve education. We probably have it underrepresented this time, not to say that it shouldn't be more represented. I think there's a few educators on there talking about things. Most of it is tied to aging and most of it's tied to nutrition this time. But we did have Saul last time talking about how we need to right-size these classrooms and we need to instill some level of uniformity to me. He said something brilliant that I'll share with you. Each one of these school systems is being run by the local people. And there's understanding that sometimes that decentralization is very powerful. We certainly know that in the digital asset space, the power of decentralization. But the flip side is you may not be getting the best ideas of the best in breed. And so one of the things he said is if you're doing the play at the local high school and you're being taught by the local drama teacher, what about electronically beaming in the Steven Spielbergs of the world or the best Broadway director? Everyone and, has access to masterclass, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's the point he's making that we can now through our technology put the best and brightest in the room with our students. And that's not a knock on the local presence or the local teachers. I'm not suggesting that, but there's got to be a exciting, immersive thing that we can do with our students to get them excited about learning and sort of incentivize them to increase their levels of curiosity. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I personally think the solution here is with the internet, right? Kind of talking about getting a little bit more cosmic, I saw that you were moderating a panel on psychedelics. Uh, it's definitely psychedelics have been something that have come back in vogue definitely in the last few years and is becoming a lot less taboo. I'm curious, you know, why moderate that panel? What's your interest in 
psychedelics and, you know, what's the potential there? Well, you know, unfortunately, as most families, I have members of my family that have been afflicted with various addictions, whether it's a drug or alcohol addiction. Some of this stuff can be modified through behavioral therapy. Some of it can be modified through 12-step programs. But I think what we have found, my friend Christian Angermeyer, who's become a billionaire now with these psychotropic drugs and with this sort of the psychedelic experience and using psychedelics in the form of a therapy, I think what we have found that if they're measured appropriately and they're used in the right way, they have a clinical effect on sort of resetting the brain. It's almost like a control alt delete for the brain, which can clear out some of the data files. And what we find with people that have addictive disorders or, or various levels of disease, some of it could be nature, some of it could be their biological dependencies, but some of it, it could be from their upbringing and the traumas that they've experienced while growing up. And so what we found is that uh, measured appropriately, not abusing them, but psychedelics can be used to help sort of reset the brain, sort of cleanse the, the brain of those traumas, a uh, very high rate of efficacy with that. And so for that reason, I want to make it a focus of the event this year, just to let people know what's going on. You know, you, you have some old fogies. I consider myself now an old fogie. They'll say, psychedelics, what the hell are you talking about? Well, you know what? You should listen. There's some new research and there's a new way of looking at things that may be beneficial to people that are in need. Awesome. Well, again, I've been very interested in this development. And yeah, I mean, I've heard a great analogy was like, you know, you can meditate and find kind of that peace and it takes a lot of work and it may or may not work. But, you know, if you if you take a psychedelic in the right conditions, it kind of forces that outcome to happen regardless. So it does sound like with moderation, it could be a very powerful tool and shows that, you know, we need to be open-minded with this stuff. I feel like there's a lot of anecdotes that's holding uh, our society back just because we're not open-minded to the possibilities. I think it's very well said. That's the reason why I personally love doing these conferences because you know, in 2014, the Winklevosses, the twins, they came to talk about Bitcoin. They're explaining this digital cryptographic blockchain, and they're saying all this different stuff. And I'm listening very carefully. And I'm like, okay, that could work. I mean, that is the possibilities of working. And I said to them, look, it's got to scale more for me to be encouraged. And so the great irony, what I said to the Winklevosses, I think that coins were trading, I don't know, two, three, four hundred $400 a coin at that time. I said, weirdly, they got to get more expensive for me. The more expensive they are in a weird, perverse way, they're more validating because it means there's more wallets and there's a more expanded network. I'll be comfortable once it scales and starts tracking Medcav's law. You guys are unbelievably early. You may be 100% right. You might be wrong. I'm more willing to buy in once I know that the thesis is more well-proven and I would give you this example. I'm, I'm not a great A-round investor in a new company, but I'm a great late-stage pre-IPO investor, you know, where that's where I have sat with my money for years. The company's made it to a certain scale. They're about to go public. There's some transition at the top there. Venture capitalists sometimes need to get taken out or there's change in circumstances in people's families. They want to sell some shares. I've lived in that space. It's been very successful for me. But I got to Bitcoin through the Saul Conference and through the uh, the introduction of the Winklevoss twins in 2014. And I'm hoping that there might be somebody moved by what we're saying about psychedelics at this conference this year 
uh, where if they have different family afflictions, maybe someone in their family could be helped by it. Awesome. Well, for someone who's easily distracted, it was impressive how you you just switched on on a dime there. It's really incredible. I've heard you tell the story about the Winklevoss twins and and you having that conversation with, you know, that was extremely prescient, right? You want to see network effects and you want to see this asset grow before you can invest in it. One of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is actually as it grows and gets more expensive, it becomes more investable, which is the opposite of stocks, which, you know, just their PE ratios go up. Yes. Yeah. You're saying it better than me. In fact, in fact, I always have this book in my background. And I was just, you know, I think you, I think you're familiar with this book. This is Dominic Frisbee's book. It was written in 2014. It's called Bitcoin: The Future of Money. And I love sharing this book with people because he wrote it in 2014, and he predicted a lot of the things that took place from 2014 to 2021. And to your point, what he said was, if it's working, the price will go higher and the network will expand. And so ironically, it won't be cheap at that point. It'll actually be getting less expensive on a relative basis, meaning we're at 45, 50,000 right now with 180 million users. But man, we get to a billion users. And if Kathy Wood is right, we'll get there by the end of 2025. And I believe she will be right. There's no reason why these coins couldn't be in the several hundred thousands per coin, easily justified by those supply demand dynamics. And so this is a book I like recommending to people because he does a great job of explaining what the coins are, what the blockchain is, and why he thinks it's going to be so successful. And of course, many of the things he said in the book have unfolded. Amazing. Thank you for that recommendation. And while we're giving book recommendations, I would be remiss if I didn't show this to you and your audience, but I'm curious, have you read The Sovereign Individual? So not only have I read the sovereign individual, I'll really scare you about how old I am. I read Blood in the Streets and Blood in the Streets was written by those two gentlemen. It was a precursor to that book. The sovereign individual, obviously, Peter Thiel came out with a new uh, preface. I thought his preface or introduction was excellent. And those two gentlemen predicted a lot of the things that are happening right now uh, about empowerment. And this is something I think is important for people. Why the sovereign individual I guess it was written in 1999. I read it then. I reread it last year. Also, I had a 20-year period of time between reading it. And I'm remarking about how fresh the ideas are still today, how contemporized those ideas are. But I want to leave your, your listeners and viewers with this thought from the sovereign individual. And that is just imagine what the blockchain is doing. The blockchain is disintermediating third parties which someday in our history, 100 years from now, people will say, wow, why was that necessary to get your ID issued from the government where you yourself could actually create your own ID over the blockchain? I think that's coming. Why are we relying on banks and places like Amazon to be verifiable third parties when we now have the blockchain and we can transact directly with each other without these third parties? And think of the efficiencies, but also think of the expression of individuality that I can create my own identity over the blockchain. And you know, it's me because of the sequencing of that blockchain. And I think that's the brilliance of what's coming. And I think that's the apotheosis of the sovereign individual. Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. 
You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin, and the energy was absolutely electric. Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year we are learning, we are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center and we are gonna be throwing a massive four day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin and the greatest businesses in Bitcoin. And lastly, the culture of Bitcoin all together. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. It is going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners and just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in, and to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world, a world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Learn more about the Bitcoin conference. Learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your bit tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the whale pass. So if you want the VIP pass, the, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of stats. So Go and do it right now today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't miss event. Bitcoiners, let's take a break from the content. And I want to tell you about Coolbix. Coolbix is an awesome Bitcoin hardware wallet that has been around for a really long time. They are building an amazing Bitcoin wallet called the Cool Wallet Pro. The Cool Wallet Pro is state of the art. Bitcoin hardware wallet technology. Its form factor is like a credit card. You can put it into your wallet and it is designed to go with you on the go. So that way, even when you're on the go, you can have the benefit of a two-factor hardware wallet design when you're trying to spend your Bitcoin. So you can have your Bitcoin wallet UX on your phone and make it really easy to scan, decide what you want to do. But then you sign with a cool bit X, which is in your back pocket. It is tamper proof. It is waterproof. It is flexible. It has an awesome secure element in it. And it is a really awesome way in order to have some more flexibility, yet security when you're taking your Bitcoin on the go. I personally am a fan of this idea of making Bitcoin into a medium of exchange and making it into something that people use. I know it's going to take time, but they are working on the UX for making that possible in as secure a way possible. So have some peace of mind. Check out the Cool Wallet Pro from CoolBix. And yeah. Thank you to them for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think when you read the when you read the book, it lays out a lot of different factors that I think are prescient and are playing out 
part of it was predicting hard digital e-cash, right? And mm-hmm. you know, you could say that Bitcoin is far better than what they predicted, which is like something that is tied to gold. But regardless, you know, they didn't necessarily, although, you know, and the sovereign individual definitely leads a lot of my personal investment thesis, but they didn't necessarily predict a one currency to rule the mall Bitcoin maximalist kind of philosophy. I've kind of seen you start off with Bitcoin and become more interested and open to blockchain in general and mass intermediation, removing uh, intermediation in general. Um, I'm kind of curious, what's your idea of like this idea of building a blockchain, a multi-asset world, a multi-chain world? Like personally, again, that's not what the Bitcoin magazine and maximalist philosophy is. But, you know, again, I'm curious what your thoughts are. So I get pushed back from my own staff. My staff is drinking the Bitcoin Kool-Aid. I would say the most of my research people at Skybridge are Bitcoin maximalists, some of which are Bitcoin evangelists. You know, there's guys on my staff that think Jesus and Moses got together and made a baby and named it Bitcoin. I mean, so it's a full on religious experience. It's less so for me. I don't say that Bitcoin is not going to be the apex predator. I believe it will be, but I believe that there are other ecosystems and there are other potential use cases for some of these other coins. Ethereum has proven that. Now, will Ethereum be with us forever? I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. You know, Yahoo is still with us, but it certainly had way more significance in 1998 and 1999 before it was trumped by Google. There are transaction permitted speeds that are way faster than Ethereum. You know, as an example, Solana, you know, you're moving at light speed compared to the speed of sound with something like Ethereum. And so there's also coins like Algorand, which have great speeds and great technology, but Algorand still needs to build that ecosystem. Ethereum has the most robust digital application system. So I don't know. You know, if you had one of my research guys on, they would poo-poo me and they would say Bitcoin is Bitcoin only and Bitcoin is going to eat up and devour everything else. It'll be the great Pac-Man of cryptocurrency. It survived 8,500 different onslaughts from different currencies and it still maintains itself at greater than 55% of the market cap of the overall cryptocurrency universe. I'm a little bit more open-minded to that because... If you had asked me in 1996 how I was going to log on to the internet in 2021, I would have said to you, America Online. I would have said it. Now, I would have been wrong. And I think we have to evolve. And I'm also reminded of what Steve Jobs did to the iPod. He shot the iPod and he put it in the smartphone. And people said, what are you doing? That's an unbelievable business that you have, this iPod. And he said, yeah, but it's, I don't need it anymore. It's going to end up in the iPhone anyway. I better shoot it, you know what I mean, before somebody else does. And so that's my thought on it. I, I want to be a little bit more open-minded. You guys may be right, you know, the Bitcoin magazine, but that's okay. If you're right, the proportion of my assets in Bitcoin is 85% of my digital assets. So if you guys are right, I'll scratch my head and say, geez, I should add 100% in Bitcoin. But you may be, you may be, we may both be right. You may, Bitcoin may be the apex predator and the dominant market share but there may be a few other coins out there that have lots of value and that'll be worthwhile for people to own. So I think you you had a very wise forward-thinking perspective when you first talked to the Winklevoss twins around you know, network effects. How do you go about 
you know, I think again, network effects is kind of everything here and network effects of money. You've seen USD be very dominant when it comes to contracts globally. What's kind of your framework at, you know, looking at a multi-chain world? Like, cause we live in a multi-chain world today, right? So um, the maximalist thesis is that this is not going to persist. But when you look at these things, how do you value them? And like, do you use a similar framework as a network effects and Metcalf law, or are there other things that you care about? I mean, it's it's a terrific question. So I think I think you have to look at a couple of different things. You have to look at the network effects, number one, a priori, and how are they scaling? And then you have to look at the use cases because something like Ethereum, if you have this proliferation of NFTs that are coming off of the, the Ethereum blockchain, you have to say, okay, that will continue to grow at which point it'll increase the demand for Ethereum. And so will its price go up. But then I think the other thing you have to look at are the technical factors. What about the technology behind these coins? You know, the gas, the use rates, the fee rates, the transaction speeds per minute. Bitcoin certainly has, I think, a permanent standing. I, I do think it'll be here. If you ask me, yeah, I just got done telling you that America Online would be the way I would log on in 2021. But if you ask me, it's 2046, it's 25 years from now, will Bitcoin still be in existence? I'll say yes. Will it still have the largest market cap of all the cryptocurrencies? I'm less certain about that, CK, but I'm going to say yes on that. Um, but I do think there will be a few others out there. And I think measuring them by Metcalf's law, the use case, and the technology prowess will leave a few of those coins. They'll be part of our world of decentralized finance. Awesome. So, I mean, again, I think that that was a very good answer. And just to kind of close out this idea and close out you know, the sovereign individual, are there any themes from that book that you think are very important or are kind of being captured at the SALT conference this year? Well, not necessarily captured at the conference. It's being captured at the conference in a fragmented way. I don't think anybody's ever going to give a speech like this at the SALT conference, but you know, maybe three or four years from now. I think the sovereign individual really is about where the individual is going from a governing perspective. If the blockchain is right, Jack Dorsey is saying that it's the most important thing he can work on in his life. Mark Andreessen is saying that it's the most important development in technology above and beyond the Netscape browser that he created 26 or 27 short years ago. And so if you really understand what's going on, the blockchain and the ability to decentralize to the magnitude that the blockchain offers, you may see the deconstruction of these nation states over time. And we may actually end up in a situation where we're global citizens not because we've lost our love of country, not because of anything other than the fact that we've been afforded all of these capabilities as a result of the blockchain. And I think ultimately when you read that book, and I read it at age 35 in 1999, and I've read it again at age 56 in 2020, what I was left with in that book is an understanding that our technology if it's run properly, will make us more free. And you may remember what Peter wrote in the uh, forward. He said, you know, the blockchain is about libertarianism and the individual and individual liberty. AI, if it's used malevolently, it could be about autocracy and the control of people. And so I think that's going to be a big struggle for our time. And I'm hoping, obviously, that the, uh, the individual wins out. Yeah. I mean, again, I, Peter Thiel likes to point out, uh, again, yeah, cryptocurrency decentralization versus AI. 
freedom versus the panopticon. So we're kind of, you know, seeing those those forces wrestling right now. I want to ask you one last kind of like higher end question about the world today. I know that you as an investor, you know, are paying attention to many different aspects, but, you know, it seems like we are in a very precarious position. A lot of crazy things are happening. You know, we're seeing reverse repo from the Fed breaking all-time highs and just going parabolic. You know, we're seeing a lot of different things. I guess when you look at the world today, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are you scared of kind of what's to come? You know, do you have any kind of ideas for the next three, four years? And, you know, what investors, what Americans, what global citizens should should kind of brace for? What I would say to you, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing question, actually, because I do think about that question all the time. And so I just want to reflect for a moment and just point out to people that I've been completely humbled by the markets. I've been completely humbled by life. And so what I'm about to say to you, I'm not saying with any certitude, but I'm saying it with the probability statistics of what I think are likely outcomes. And so likely outcome is we're going to move aggressively into the world of decentralized finance amazingly quickly. Bank branches are going to collapse and close before our eyes over the next five or so years. Likely outcomes, we're going to green up the planet it's starting slowly, but it's going to accelerate because we don't really have a choice. There's nobody that's responsible that can look at what's going on in terms of the emission of carbon and the potential destruction to the overall, we use the word ecosystem all the time, but what about the global ecosystem? I don't think we can be in the world of climate denial anymore. I think we have no choice but to clean up the environment. And so you'll see something that will surprise people. We're going to move very quickly over the next 10 years to greening up the environment. Number three, 1923 was a big year. You were a couple of years after the global pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic, and you had the introduction of the highway system, the commercialization of air travel, horseless carriages moving around the country, the electrification of rural areas, and the telephone wiring of rural areas and the Atlantic where you could communicate with Europe by telephone. 1923 was a huge year, tremendous amount of pent up demand. Ironically, a hundred years later, we're back in that spot. Pent up consumerism as a result of the pandemic, the introduction of 5G, robotic technology, AI, different uh, formulaics for logistics and software are gonna make the world way more efficient and the blockchain is going to make the world way more efficient. And I'll say this last thing to you. You know, when I buy deodorant, because I'm lazy, I don't go to Walgreens anymore. I just log on to Amazon. I click the deodorant I like, and they send it to me. Deodorant is typically made by Procter & Gamble or Unilever. In 10 years, I'm not going to be going to Amazon anymore for that. I'm going to go directly to Unilever. Because Unilever is going to have a system in place technologically where over the blockchain, they're going to be able to have a trusted transaction with me, a literal nobody, uh, but that they'll accept my coins or my tokens or whatever it may be that I'm transferring to them for their deodorant. And we will have cut out that third party. And I think that's going to be something that's going to surprise people as well. So all in all, I'm very optimistic. We just got to get our political structure right so that we can deepen the prosperity and the abundance that's about to hit the earth. 
All right. Well, again, that was a huge question and uh, you did not disappoint with the answer. I think about that one a lot, CK. That one's a big one, man. No, definitely. And I mean, I think these next 10 years, like that's going to smash 50, 60 years worth of change all in one. So I'm on the same, I'm on the same book as you, but I guess, Anthony, if you had one last word, encouraging people who are holding out in the salt conference to check it out, this is your chance. What is it? Uh, I would tell people three things happen at the SALT conference. You're going to improve your business. You're going to meet people that improve your business opportunities. You're going to make some new friends and you're going to learn something. And the last thing I think, which is super important to me, I guarantee you're going to have some fun. I mean, we got the chain smokers coming and come on. So to me, I would tell people show up. It'll be a great networking opportunity. You'll have a lot of fun and you'll learn something. Awesome. Well, again, the content looks great. I hope there's a live stream. I'm sad I won't be there, but there's going to be folks from Bitcoin Magazine there. So if any of the listeners interested in meeting up, holler at us and and we'll get them connected. But thank you so much for the time, Anthony. You got it, my friend. I'm really looking forward to seeing you soon. You be well. Cheers. All right. Thank you.